Hello all, welcome or welcome back to And Everything In Between. I'm your host, Mela. Uh, today's episode is going to be a collection of thoughts, part three. I had another idea of an episode I could do, but it's honestly been so long since I've done one of these and I don't know, I just had a lot of smaller subjects I really wanted to talk about, it. so I'm actually really excited about this episode. I feel like I say that every episode, but this episode... I think it's going to be interesting because I don't think I've covered these topics much before, so I think it'll be interesting. Um, The book I'm reading right now, I just wanted to briefly mention it. I'm reading The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, I think is her name, and I honestly had seen this book before, like many times, because, you know, it's a pretty well-known book, I would say, and I'd seen this book and I just... I don't know. I just didn't pick it up. I won't even lie. I don't think I wanted to read it because it was kind of historical fiction based and I'm just not a historical fiction person. I mean, it has to be something, the plot really has to get my attention for me to read historical fiction. I just, it's just not my thing. But I was rereading the summary and I was like, you know what, this this sounds interesting. It sounds like an interesting plot and I feel like it would help me with my you know, perspective since I don't read historical fiction that much. So I picked it up and started reading it. And I have to say, I'm really glad that I did start to read it. And not that I've started to read it. I'm like, I think I'm on page 190. So I'm a little over halfway through the book and I'm really enjoying it. And I think that the author does a great job of really showing how society was for African Americans even after segregation had ended. I mean, the book takes place when there was still segregation, and then it also takes place after the um, Civil Rights Act of 1964, right? But I just think it provides a really, I don't know, very educational and informative perspective because I honestly didn't know all of these things that were still going on and, you know, I didn't really understand the extent of racism that was in America at that time. And I just think it's a really great book to educate other people and I would really recommend it. I would recommend reading it and I'm really excited to see what happens. The plot is actually very interesting and I feel like it is unique from other historical fiction plots about that time period. So I really like it and I would recommend it. Great educational read. It's also very enjoyable, not enjoyable per se, but it's interesting to see the characters' lives and, you know, see all of their emotions, their inner thoughts. I really like it. But anyway, enough about my book. Let's just dive into today's episode. This first thing I'm going to talk about in this collection of thoughts, I literally just thought of five minutes ago, but it's something that is so frustrating to me. And that is, why can't I act the same way around strangers? And when I say strangers, I don't mean adults or people who I wouldn't be friends with. I'm talking about strangers my own age. Why can't I act the same way around them that I do with my friends? Because I sometimes feel like I am quite literally the most awkward person alive when I'm talking to people who aren't my friends. I mean, It's like all of a sudden, all of my humor, all of my jokes, 
all of my common sense, everything just flies out the window and I have no idea what to say. And I try to act like they're my friends, but then it just sounds forced. It's like, okay, I don't know you. Why am I talking to you like we've been friends for 10 years? And sometimes that works. I have a friend who can just do that because she's very sociable, but I am not a very sociable person. I'm kind of, I feel like I'm a little closed off before I become friends with people and then I start to be a little more funny, I guess, or like just be a little more... I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, a little more relaxed. That's what I want to say, relaxed. But I've just been thinking about, you know, why can't I act the same way around these people? Because I feel like I would make so many more friends if I could just show my true personality that I use with my friends. But then it always comes off as sounding weird or like, why am I talking like that? I don't know. So that's just something that has been so frustrating because when I got a job also, I met all my coworkers and obviously I didn't know any of them. And so now I'm like, I've become friends with them, with some of them, but it's just like when I was first talking to them, I was like, why can I not talk to these people like I do with my friends? Because I know, I know that I could be friends with these people if they actually knew the good side of my personality. So I don't know why that is, why I'm not very sociable, but I guess that's just part of my personality. Okay, that was the more smaller part of what I wanted to talk about. The first subject that I want to talk about is the look good, feel good, and in reverse, the feel good, look good mindset. And you may be like, how can this mindset be both things? You know, sometimes I feel like we look good, then we feel good about ourselves. But what do you mean we feel good about ourselves? We also look good on the outside. So I kind of want to dive into that and I just want to talk about this mindset that I've been trying to carry with me in my everyday life. I feel like this feel good, look good mindset is the reason why people exercise. You know, you see people going to the gym. You're like, why do they want to put themselves through hours of this agony? And, you know, maybe that's actually just me. I hate working out. Maybe that'll change, but I just, I don't know. I just don't like it, probably because every time I get into it, I just quit right away because I don't stick it out until I actually can do it without feeling like I want to die, but I just don't like to exercise. Exercising is not my thing, and I guess, I mean, I like bike riding, and I don't like doing, like, workouts, core workouts, but core workouts and bike riding are things that I can do without like wanting to double over in pain. Running and weightlifting, I quite literally hate both of those things. I hate running. Like I just hate it so much. And I I honestly would say like I'm decently fast. I'm not like fast enough to be on the cross country team, but for the average person, I feel like I'm above average in my running pace. But I just don't like it. And weightlifting, I just, I just don't like weightlifting. I've had bad experiences with weightlifting with people my own age and that I'm not going to talk about here, but I just don't like it. I honestly also, this is kind of veering off track, but I honestly am so scared to go to a gym and work out because of a fear of being judged by other people. And I know 
other people share this fear too, but like I am so paranoid of being judged by other people, you know? Like I want to work out and not feel like people are watching me or being like, oh, what is she doing here? Like, I don't know. That's another thing. But anyways, why people exercise, I feel like the reason behind them doing this they want to feel good about themselves. You know, I feel like when you exercise, even me who does not enjoy exercising, I honestly don't feel like many people enjoy it when they first start doing it, but it makes you feel good about yourself. It makes you feel accomplished. Like I'm working towards improving my health. I'm working towards maybe being a more well-rounded person. And because I'm working towards that, I feel good about myself. And when you feel good about yourself, I feel like those results start to show. You know, you carry yourself with a more, you carry yourself with more confidence. You know, maybe your posture is more straight. You feel like because I look good, because I've been exercising, then I feel good. Or wait, that's what I was going to say next. Because I feel good that I've been exercising, I look good to other people. You know, maybe that's physical changes like your body is more toned or whatever and you're more fit, you physically look more fit, but also you just look more confident because of that feeling that, yeah, I've been exercising, I've been working to improve myself. But at the same time, you can say that this look good, feel good mindset also applies to why people exercise. If you look good, like you're walking out of the gym, you're like, wow, I look like I just exercised, but, you know, my body's starting to look like it too. That's going to make you feel good about yourself, you know? That's going to lead to feelings of self-confidence and feeling like, yeah, I accomplished something. I'm doing good things because I can show that. I can show I'm exercising, you know? It shows in my muscles or whatever. And I just feel like that's the reason why people exercise. And that's the reason why I would exercise, at least, because, you know, if I feel good about myself, I know I'm going to look good. And then if my body actually looks good, then I know I'll feel good and feel like I'm actually, you know, staying healthy, taking care of myself. So I think that's interesting, this mindset that people apply. Personally, in my life, whenever I have a lot of homework to do, I used to have this bad habit of doing all my homework before I actually took care of myself. And I've talked about that in previous episodes. But now what I've been doing, and I think I've been doing it pretty much 90% of the time, which has actually made a difference, is I do, you know, make my makeup, my skincare. And I'm not going to say this sounds frivolous, like, oh my god, here we go again, because that's kind of this internalized misogyny coming out saying, you know, oh, things that women do, like their makeup, so frivolous. But they are extra things to do. You know, I don't need to wear makeup. I don't technically need to do my skincare. But doing those things makes me feel good about myself. And when I feel good about myself, obviously, I look good on the outside by doing these things. And also combing my hair. When I comb my hair, just when I look put together, when I look good, then I feel more productive. I feel like, you know, my life is put together and that honestly influences the level of productivity when I'm doing homework. And it sounds weird. I know you may not think you're, you may not connect doing your makeup or getting ready for the day with 
your level of productivity and feeling good about yourself and where you are right now, but it honestly has such a deep connection and that's why I continue to do my makeup and my skincare. But I was going to do my podcast before I got dressed, before I combed my hair, before I did makeup and skincare, but I was like, you know what? I just am going to feel so gross if I don't look put together. Like, I'm going to feel gross about myself. Like, I'm not taking care of myself. So, I switched that order. Now, I do my makeup, skincare, comb my hair, get dressed, put on a nice outfit, all of these things before I start my work, before I do my podcast. And it truly does make such a huge difference. So, I would recommend doing that. I mean, honestly, that's why in the morning before school, I do, you know, my whole routine and it really isn't frivolous to me because I know that when I look good, I will feel good about myself. And when I feel good about myself, I'm more productive and I just feel like my life is more put together. So that's honestly the main reason for me getting ready before school. It's literally just a personal reason. And I feel like a lot of things that we do, a lot of our habits, our routines are just for our personal reasons, just to make sure we feel good about ourselves. Looking good makes us feel put together, makes us feel less stressed. Because when you feel put together, you're like, you know what? I have everything under control. Even if you don't have everything under control, it kind of goes along with this fake it till you make it mindset. You know, you look good, then you feel good. And then it's like you feel good, you can pretend like you're put together, you can pretend like everything's under control, and that will in turn make you less stressed. I don't know if that's a bit of a stretch to say, but it honestly works for me. So that's why these fake it, this fake it till you make it mindset kind of goes along with this look good, feel good, or feel good, look good mindset. Also, feeling good about yourself or being confident leads to you looking confident to other people. You know, maybe people are going to be more likely to approach you and say nice things to you because you feel good about yourself. You carry yourself with this confidence. I don't know if I've ever told you guys, but my posture is just absolutely horrendous. I mean, it is so bad. I will see a picture of myself. Like, my friends will just take a picture of me and I'll be in the background hunched over at my desk doing work and I swear to god my back is like a 90 degree angle like I have terrible posture so when I look good and I straighten my posture then I feel like you know what I look good to other people around me I look like I'm healthy and I'm you know sitting with my straight posture that's gonna lead to me feeling confident about myself and lead to me being more productive so Yeah, I feel like I've said kind of the same ideas a few different ways, but I feel like all together, these mindsets are the reason why people exercise, the reason why I like to do all of my self-care activities before I begin homework. You know, it's the reason why people walk out of the gym feeling confident, feeling like, you know what, I just did that, you know, and because I feel confident, then I look confident to other people. It's all this positive feedback cycle. You know, the more well you think you look, the better you feel, and the more you feel, the more productive you're going to be to do that activity again, which is going to make you look better. 
And I hope when I say look, you aren't just thinking appearances. I also mean look, just confidence, the way you carry yourself, all of that. So those are those mindsets I like to carry around with me. The next topic I want to talk about is long-term exposure to social media. I was thinking about this last night while I was brainstorming ideas. What do I want to talk about in this episode? And I was thinking about how often we use our phones, much as I talk about this topic in other episodes. So I was thinking about how much we use our phones, and I was thinking about myself now versus myself a few years ago, and how different my personality is. And I was wondering, you know, is part of that personality change, for better or for worse, is part of this change from social media, from long-term exposure of being on social media every day? And I feel like the answer is yes. I feel like social media can change our personalities, and it can change the way we behave and the way we act around other people. It can change our morals and our beliefs. And that is a powerful thing, to change someone's morals and beliefs. I mean, those are like our core values, what makes us us. Those are what shape our identity, those core values. So the fact that something can change that speaks really strongly about that. Social media changes how we view the world. You know, I feel like it can make us become more pessimistic because you see these photos and videos of wars all over the world. You see these videos of global warming and climate change, knowing that we're just letting it happen without doing anything. You see photos of children starving or people who don't have access to medicine or safe medical procedures. And you see all of this and it just kind of makes you a more pessimistic person. It doesn't kind of make you a more pessimistic person. It does. I mean, I feel like kids, before they're introduced to social media, they're like these bubbly, bright personalities. And then it's like gloomy city when they get social media. They start to grow up and see the real side of the world and see that, you know, it's not all happy. There are problems that, as a child, we're shielded from. But social media... You know, you don't have to wait till you go to college to learn about those problems. You see it right now, you know, an 11-year-old is seeing what's happening in other countries of the world who maybe aren't as fortunate as where we live or as where I live personally in the United States. So it's just really interesting how kids are kind of growing up faster and growing up faster, I mean, just being introduced to these real-world issues that they maybe wouldn't have cared about until they were older. Another part of social media, this long-term exposure, this, I don't know, this may be just me because sometimes I feel like I can be a little bit of a jealous person and recognizing the fact that I can be jealous, that's not the problem, you know, that's not a bad thing that I'm recognizing the fact, as long as I know and I'm aware, working to improve that. But overall, on social media, you see these amazingly talented people, these amazingly attractive people, these amazingly athletic, smart people, people who are the best, I don't know, what's an activity, the best writers in the world, people who 
are like the smartest people you've ever seen. You know, you see kids who are like getting admitted to MIT and Yale and Harvard, all of these amazing colleges, and you see all the things they've done. And you're like, why haven't I done all that? And it leads to this self-comparison, all of this exposure to these amazing people. It really isn't healthy for us. And I feel like even if you don't consider yourself a jealous person, just being around these people on social media, I feel like it does invoke a feeling of jealousy. Even if you're not a jealous person. I feel like we can all think of a time when we've seen someone on social media and been jealous of them. Even if only for a fleeting second, we can think of that time. It really isn't healthy for our brains because it leads to the self-comparison that becomes just a part of our subconscious. You know, we become so used to seeing these amazingly attractive people, these extremely intelligent people, these insanely athletic people that are our own age. And that leads us to think, you know what? My life is nowhere near as good as their lives. I mean, I'm nowhere near as smart as this person and they're my age. I haven't accomplished nearly as much as this other 16-year-old in my life. What's wrong with me? And that is the completely wrong route to take. We don't want to say, what's wrong with me? You know, why haven't I done this? Because social media tends to highlight the best of the best. And it makes it seem like, you know, this is the everyday person. But it's not the everyday person. These are the best of the best who gain attention on social media because of their abilities. Yet, we don't realize that. We just think everyone is so smart. Everyone is so athletic. Everyone is so pretty. And it sounds, again, it sounds, you know, like, oh, beauty. Like, why do we place such an emphasis on beauty on social media? I don't know, but that's how social media works. You know, that's what these companies do. They exploit those who are very pretty or they use them to get to other people, to get them to also be on social media and also, you know, post pictures of themselves to say, you know what, well, I'm cooler than you. Well, I'm smarter than you. And it's just this big cycle. But just this long-term exposure, it can in no way be healthy for us. And I honestly want to see a study maybe 50 years from now of people who have been on social media their whole lives and people who haven't and I want to see, you know, studies of their brain and how social media has shaped our perceptions. Speaking of perceptions, social media changes our opinions. Maybe for better or for worse. Maybe we change our opinions to something that's, you know, more with societal norms today. And so we change our opinions for the better. But maybe we change our opinions for the worse and we lose the ability to think for ourselves. I think the ability to think for ourselves is something that people are rapidly losing because when you see a video on social media and you go to the comments and all the comments are agreeing, you tend to hop on the bandwagon and kind of like gaslight yourself into thinking, yeah, I think this too. No, they're so right. I agree with everything they're saying just because we want to also fit in. We also want to say, yeah, I agree with you. That That's exactly what I'm thinking. So we can kind of be a part of that group. 
And we lose this ability to think for ourselves. We lose this ability to really sit down and question the video we're seeing or photo and question, you know, what do I actually think about this? What do I think about this global issue? What is my opinion on this? Because I feel like change, societal change, comes from different opinions. And together we can use those opinions to make a policy or a law that will benefit everyone all groups affected. So, I don't know. I just feel like people are losing the ability to think for themselves. Even about small things, like what's your favorite color? It also lowers our attention spans. I have noticed this. It is so hard for people to hold a conversation with someone without checking their phone, without, you know, checking it when they hear that beep or notification. And I talked about this in my last episode, Beware of Technology, because it really is becoming a noticeable thing how people can't hold conversations or they can't talk face-to-face with one another. They just don't have this attention span. They don't have these social skills that they normally would have. And this includes me. You know, I can definitely say I'm 100% affected by this. Also, another thing I've noticed is that I feel like just being on our phones, this com- this combination of seeing all these people who appear to be better than us, who appear to have better lives than us, it just all adds up in our minds. And I feel like it can really make us prone to more mental health issues, you know, more cases of depression. And there's obviously statistics to back that up, but... I don't know, it's just something I've noticed. Something I've noticed in my own life, something I've noticed in those around me, their lives. It's just very interesting. Social media kind of rewires our brain. Maybe it forces us to think about world issues that are important we should be thinking about, and it forces us to really say, what are my opinions on this? And think logically sometimes. But it can also take away that ability to question the world and think logically. I don't know if that made any sense. I think I completely contradicted myself. It's time to move on to the next topic. The next topic is pretty privilege. I was going to make a whole episode dedicated to this, but I don't think I could talk about this for like 40 minutes, so it's going into today's episode. Pretty privilege is this idea that more attractive people get treated better by others. And I believe that this is 100% true. I mean, pretty privilege is real, pretty privilege is alive, and pretty privilege is seen every single day without us even realizing it. Beauty is valued so much in society that it becomes part of our subconscious when we see an attractive person to behave a certain way around them, to treat them better than we would a more average person or a less attractive person. And it sounds bad. It makes us sound like bad people. And it is a bad thing, you know? We should treat everyone the same no matter how they look. But I don't know. It's just the way that society is built, the way that, you know, beauty standards are built. People value beauty so much that we don't even realize we're being nice to someone because they're attractive until after the fact. Examples of pretty privilege. 
let's say you're applying for a job. You know, part of applying for a job is looking the part. You have to look put together. This kind of goes back to the look good, feel good mindset. But, you know, you look good, look put together. You're going to be able to feel more proud of yourself, proud of your accomplishments. Maybe you'll do better in the job interview. Anyways, you look put together. You have to, you know, look professional, wear good fitting or well fitting clothes. That's important to someone who's hiring you because the first thing they see when you walk in the door, they're immediately judging you. And I'm not trying to be like, be like every person you talk to is immediately going to judge you. So always look your best. Like, I'm not trying to be like that. But it is true. I mean, people judge you the minute they see you. And we do it without even realizing. We judge people's appearances without even realizing. It's just unfortunately a part of society and a part of how people behave with one another another example pretty oh i didn't even finish that example you're applying for a job you're more likely to get the job if you look put together if you look more professional and unfortunately if you look more attractive strangers inclination to talk to you you know people may be more inclined to smile at you on the street or say hello or wave at you Or maybe trust you. You seem like a more trustworthy person because you appear more attractive and you appear more put together. All of these things are just small examples of pretty privilege. And pretty privilege can get you a long way. And my friend actually said, and I honestly didn't really believe in pretty privilege until I really thought about this. This was a couple years ago. My friend said, She said, you don't, I forget exactly, she said, you don't see the pretty privilege unless it's happening to you. You only see the pretty privilege when it's not happening to you. Something along those lines. Basically saying that, you know, we may not believe in pretty privilege if we are the ones who are getting these benefits. But other people who are not getting benefits and see those who are say, you know what? Why are they getting treated better than I am? And we can connect it back to pretty privilege. So I just thought that was a really interesting perspective as well. Pretty privilege can lead to someone becoming more likable or popular. Think of your workplace or your school and think of those who are popular, well-liked. Maybe well-liked by people romantically, well-liked by just having a lot of friends But I feel like people become popular because they're pretty, because, or pretty meaning attractive, I should say. Because they're attractive, people want to be around them. You know, they have this energy that draws people to them because our brains automatically say, you know, be nicer to this person because they look attractive. And it's a bad thing. I'm not even denying that. It's a bad thing that we do, but unfortunately it happens. Having more romantic relationships or friendships, that is also a result of pretty privilege. And we don't even realize it. We don't even realize that, you know, people may be asking you on a date because you're attractive, you know, because you have this energy about you. It's just those small things like that. Another thing, pretty privilege related to gender, because these beauty standards of women are much higher than those of men, men 
get treated better more often because they have lower standards of what attractiveness is. Men are easily considered attractive. For women to be attractive, unfortunately, there's many different factors that go into it, but society has these insanely high standards for a woman to be considered attractive. Whereas, you know, men do basic things like put on clean clothes, shave, I don't know, and they're considered attractive. So I feel like that's why also men have these advantages in society. They're treated better just because the standards for them are lower. And that's why sometimes women aren't treated as respectfully in public because they have to meet higher standards. It's just something to think about. And unfortunately, as always, gender plays a role in things as simple as pretty privilege. The next thing I want to talk about, which is really interesting, and I honestly want to know more about this, the psychology behind this, I want to talk about the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect is this theory, or I shouldn't say theory, this idea that something as minor as something as minor as driving a different car to work or something as minor as taking a certain road to get to school has a multitude of effects on our lives what i mean by that is let's say you decide to take a different car to get or not a different car a different road to get to school Maybe that road has an accident, so you're a little later to school than you normally would be. Because you're a little later to school, maybe you miss, I don't know, maybe you don't get the parking spot you want in the parking lot. So because you don't get the parking spot you want, then it takes you longer to walk into the school, and then when it takes you longer to walk into the school, then you miss your friend waiting for you by the door and you miss your friend waiting for you by the door and she needed to tell you something and because she needed to tell you something you don't find out till lunch and I don't know. So you see all these different things that have happened just because you took a different road to school. So the butterfly effect is that idea. Everything in your life is connected and everything is affected by a simple decision. And obviously this is not a good thing to think about for people who maybe have some anxieties about these things. But it really is cool to think about, not too seriously, just think about it as a whole. When you think about it, there are so many timelines our lives could have taken. I mean, just me maybe making a different podcast episode than this subject today. Maybe that will influence the rest of my life. I mean, maybe something as simple as sleeping in, missing first period of school. Maybe that could have impacted the rest of my life. You never know. And I just think it's so cool to think about how everything is connected, how all of the people I know in my life were all, I all met them, or I all met them. I met them all and I became friends with them all and I know about them all through a series of decisions. And this is the course my life happened to take. But all of these other things that could have happened are different paths my life my life could have taken and i like to think that all of these other lives all of these lives where maybe i go to a different school 
I live in a different state. I don't have the friends I have. All of these other lives could exist in other universes. So I think it's really interesting to think about how we have like a million other lives that we could have lived in. But this is the life we have. And, you know, maybe that's a bad thing for you, unfortunately. But just thinking of the idea, it's just crazy. I mean, the butterfly effect, it sounds like scary, like a scary concept, but I personally think that it's really cool. And I honestly could talk about it for a long time. I wish I knew the psychology behind the butterfly effect. You know, maybe you missed something that would have really harmed you. Maybe you missed a time when you could have died just because you decided not to go somewhere on that certain day. And it's scary to think about it in that way, but it's true. I mean, all of our decisions do have impacts on other aspects of our life. Everything is kind of connected, all of our decisions. It's just something very interesting. And when you think about all of the people that you've met, you know, there's a one in a billion chance you met them and you're in your life decided to take that course. So the fact that you have these people in your life, in your life, the fact that you have your best friend in your life, you know, it means something. It just kind of puts things into perspective, at least for me. The last thing I want to talk about is a really interesting subject. And what if mirrors never existed? Now, again, don't think I'm shallow for talking about appearances and, you know, being like, why is she placing so much emphasis on appearances? Just think about this. What if mirrors never existed? In our homes, we have mirrors everywhere. You probably have a mirror in the room you're in right now. We have a mirror in every bathroom probably every bedroom. We have mirrors in hallways. We have mirrors in our cars. You know, they're everywhere. So why do we have these mirrors? What if mirrors never existed? The point of a mirror is to look at yourself, right? I mean, simple as it is. You want to see what you look like. But sometimes knowing what we look like is a bad thing. If mirrors never existed, then we really wouldn't ever know what we looked like, assuming also we don't have phones and cameras and stuff. So if mirrors never existed, we wouldn't know what we looked like. And if we, if we didn't know what we looked like, we wouldn't be able to compare ourselves to others. So much self-hatred and so much, you know, just unhappiness with ourselves and our appearances comes from self-comparison. But if we never knew what we looked like, then we wouldn't have anything to compare to other people. We wouldn't even know what a beautiful person looks like. Because when we think of a beautiful person, we compare them to our level of beauty. And we say, you know what? They look 10 times more attractive than me. They're a beautiful person. You know, so really beauty is subjective. Because it's all about our perceptions in comparison of ourself. It's like this spectrum where you place someone that you just see, again, because I was talking about how right when we see people, our brain immediately judges them. 
you place this immediate judgment on this spectrum and it all happens very fast in your mind. And the spectrum right in the middle of it is you, what you think you look like. But we wouldn't have that spectrum if we had no base point and that base point is ourself. And placing this beauty on our spectrum is often associated with our self-worth. Unfortunately, we place our self-worth with how far we are on the spectrum. How do we know how far we are on this beauty spectrum? Other people. You know, the most attractive person you've ever seen in your whole life is at the top, and then you place yourself according to that. And this all sounds very shallow to talk about, talking about appearances and stuff, but it really does make up a big part of who we are and how we view ourselves, just because this beauty, this idea of beauty, it's a social construct, and it's something we've created. You know, if we never created a mirror, although I don't even know how that would be possible because of looking at your reflection in something shiny, but if we never had mirrors, then we wouldn't have this social construct of beauty. We wouldn't have self-hatred and self-deprecation. None of that would exist. I was also thinking about what if we never knew what other people looked like? What if it was only us? Like you were the only person on this earth. Then you would know what you looked like, but you wouldn't have an idea of how beautiful you are. You know, beauty wouldn't even be something you consider. The only reason we think of how beautiful we are is because we compare ourselves to other people. But if you don't have someone else to compare it to, then it's just you. That's the only idea of beauty you have. So obviously, you're not going to think, oh, I'm ugly or, oh, I'm the most attractive person in the world. You're just going to be like, hey, that's me. That's what I look like and nothing else because you don't have this basis of comparison. So both of these ideas, the idea that we wouldn't have someone we wouldn't have others to compare ourselves to because we don't have a mirror. We don't know what we look like. And then this other scenario of maybe we do have a mirror. We know what we look like, but we don't know what anyone else looks like. So either way, the self-comparison, self-hatred, the cycle stops. I just think it's really interesting how humans often create these social constructs that aren't necessary. We create this idea of beauty. The social construct of beauty isn't necessary. There was no reason for us to create that. But, you know, humans often compare themselves and, you know, make people inferior to others. And unfortunately, this idea of beauty came out of that. And we decided that the more of these traits you have, the more beautiful you are. And other people are less beautiful. And therefore, the more beautiful you are, the better you're going to be treated with this idea of pretty privilege. I just think it's really interesting if mirrors never existed. It's a kind of abstract idea. It's very random, I know. But yeah, it's really interesting to talk about. I feel like a lot of this episode had things about appearances, how we look. But again, this whole idea of beauty and attractiveness is such a wide umbrella with many subtopics that I could talk about for a long time. So... I actually really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was really interesting. That's really all I have to talk about in today's episode. 
So yeah, I'm trying to think of something else I can say, but I don't have anything. Thank you guys for listening and I'll see you next time.